Good morning, lovely church. This is our church. It's lovely to be home. You don't realise that, but how many years ago did they throw us out, Susie, was it? <laughs> and they said, go off and do something crazy on the council estate the other side of Victoria Drive, um, which we did. And we're still alive, just, just granny and grandpa. I'm ever so nervous because I feel horribly old and haven't spoken in a church for probably three or four years. So you don't know what you're going to get today. Luckily, my gorgeous wife found this, found this verse, Psalm, um, something or other, can't <coughs> Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God and still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright, he's my rock, and there's no wickedness in him. So I'm hanging on to that verse today. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about an old car, an old man, and, and finishing well. Now you may not be interested in old cars or old men, but all of us who have started this walk with Jesus... All ones know how how do we finish well? You know we we get stuffed and stuck, yeah. don't we? We get into a routine. How do we finish well? If you've started, hopefully, um, the Lord might have something for us. <laughs> but the trouble is, you may have great problems because we were at a party at Ashburnham where we lived for some years, and people we hadn't seen for forty years came up, and one of the one of the men who was an old car fanatic, a bit like me, he got a nineteen thirty six Singer came and said, Joe, have you had your old car out? Have you still got your old car? Have you had it out this summer? It's been lovely days, just right for old cars. And I said to him, oh, Bob, now I better tell you this, because you may not know, but the oil companies are putting 5% stuff called ethanol in the petrol. Well, that's fine for the modern cars. Oh, am I too loud? Am I right? Fine for the modern, but our old bangers that have carburetors that squirt the fuel into the engine, it's terrible stuff, because it, it's made from green um, vegetation, and it evaporates ever so easily, the engines run too hot, you know, it all causes this sort of problem. And not having seen this man for a long time, I wanted to get a conversation going. I said, oh, Bob, the problem is this 5%, 5%, and I couldn't think of the word ethanol. And he didn't know what I was talking about, he was in five you know, he was sort of hanging on here. And I said, you know, the stuff they're putting into the fuel now, and he didn't know. And I said, and they're threatening perhaps to go up to 10%, and that'll really write us off. But he was looking at me. And in the end, I had to completely change the subject and ask about how his children were. <laughs> um, so that this morning, if I stand here sort of looking like this, just shout ethanol, and <laughs> that will tide me over. <laughs> but old cars, you see, are very interesting because... When I was 17, I can't quite remember, but when I was 17, I passed my driving test almost straight away. It was very easy to pass in those days. And I was out on a joyride in Dad's Beetle VW, and I came past this scrapyard. And it was a guy who collected up all these old cars in an orchard. And underneath an apple tree was this rack of a motor car. The back of it had sort of rotted off it, but it, somebody had made a homemade sort of two-seater. But there was a chrome radiator and two very <coughs> gorgeous, lonely-looking eyes, lights, um, looking so sad under the tree. And I thought, I must have a look at this. And I pulled up my dad's VW, walked into the scrapyard, and looked at this little lonely motor car in the corner, and I just fell in love with it. 
and I wanted that car, and I went back and I said to the um, scrappy, I said, how much do you want for that old wreck under the apple tree? And he said, um, well, do, you, do you just want the bits? I said, well, I'd probably like the whole lot. And he said, oh, give me a fiver, give me a fiver and you can take it home. So I went back, talked mum and dad into giving me a fiver, and we towed this little car home. It turned up out to be a 1930 MG. It took 30 years to rebuild it. <laughs> the body lived in our conservatory for I don't know how many years. I had to build the body from scratch. I got all the original drawings. It was a wooden body with fabric cover. And um, she's beautiful. She's 90 next year. And two years ago, the local car club that I belong to in Bexhill said, We've got a stand at the NEC at the biggest classic car show in the world, and we'd love to put your little motor car on the front of the stand. And that means you get free parking, free tickets, which we could never have afforded to go to this place. I think it's 50 quid to get in and another 30 pounds to parking. Yeah, right. But that was all paid for because they took the car up, there it was, presented. Now, they know. that's us. <laughs> we get rescued out of the scrapyard. And then at the end, we're presented before the king. Jesus takes us and says, people swore. I said, you can't take that wreck of a car of mine. We use it for the shops. Can't take that to this classic car show. Everything is polished and immaculate. He said, that's why we want it, because it's used. And people flooded around. They wanted to see this car. They wanted to sit in it. They wanted to touch it. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. <laughs> when... <laughs> When I was first rescued, I was 33, actually. And it's funny, I didn't want to think about getting old <laughs> and death and dying and perhaps heaven. I don't know whether we are wired that way as human beings, but do you sort of focus on dying and getting old? I don't think many of us do. I just wanted to live in what I discovered, a whole new dimension. Do you remember Jesus told a story about a guy digging in the corner of a field? And he finds some treasure. And he gets so excited and, and he hides it down again. And he goes off to sell everything that he had so that he could get that treasure. Well, I got healed 33 years ago. I shouldn't actually be alive today. And I wanted to get rid of everything else that prevented me from getting this treasure. Hey! And, uh... Oh. It was the treasure that I was after, not dying and all the future. Well, last year, on the very hottest day of the year, Susie and I put a new regime to keep ourselves young and fit. And so we drive down to the Bexhill um, swimming pool. She does an hour's aquarobics, and I do an hour's power walk along the coast path and back. And this day we were late, and we hadn't had a proper breakfast, and we dashed and rushed and... It was the hottest day of the year, you know, it was hot. And on the way back, everything was going well. So I was within 200 yards of back to the car. And the next thing I didn't know, I was lying unconscious on the path. <laughs> the first thing I did know was that I was beginning to phase back in and out. And there were various people around me. And I said, my wife should be just coming out of the pool. If you could get her, that would be good. And I was thinking, if this is dying, it's rather nice. <laughs> Somebody knelt down and said, how are you? I said, oh, I'm fine. This is lovely. I just I haven't got the energy to get up. <laughs> he said, I think I'll be only... Anyway, I was thinking, Lord, you know, this is good. We have been praying that we die with our boots on. I don't want to die in an old people's home. And uh, so I thought, maybe this is it. This 
this is really rather exciting. <laughs> and then she came up and started praying, and then right out of the blue, this wretched man came along and said, oh, I go to Emmanuel Church in Hastings, can I pray for you? I thought, the Lord's not going to take me back, is he? I, I, I would have said no if I'd been stronger. <laughs> anyway, they bee-boo-bee-dooed us off to the hospital and filled me up with um, saline drip, and you, I feel life being poured back. They said, you got totally dehydrated. But the excitement was that <laughs> um, that had caused a bit of trouble in the old ticker. Slight short circuit had started up. So I now have two new hips and a pacemaker. <laughs> I need something like Carl, where I can press a little button and slow me down, because the trouble with this pacemaker, I'm too fast. Everything's happening too quickly. So if I'm talking too fast, just put your hands up. I'll slow down a bit. But I still don't think of dying. Isn't that weird? I've been so close to it. Um, <coughs> I had our six months pace to make a check. Oh, he said, really going well. It doesn't kick in very often. <coughs> so I said, what happens if I don't have a pacemaker? They said, well, you're fine at the moment. But you've got a slight short circuit, and like in my old motor car, I happen to know, if you've got a slight, they get, they get worse. They don't improve with age. And if you're going to drive, you need a pacemaker. So I said, okay, I have a pacemaker. We, we prayed for the nurses. It was really exciting time when we were in hospital. Anyway, never mind about that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I've lost where I am now. So, yes, nearly died. Wait, oh, I've got a little crib sheet, actually. MG car, blah, blah. Yes, I still wasn't thinking of dying. They said 11 years. Oh, you could still got 11 year battery life in your oh. ticker. 11 years, that's incredible. So I still got another maybe 12, 15 years to go. I want, and I'm still not thinking <coughs> of pegging out. Although we have looked into the um, fold flat coffins that you can get at 70 quid a time from Hastings. Really worth investing in. <laughs> you see, you've never thought about that, have you? You don't even get a look at your funeral until after you've died, and then the kids or somebody else have got to do it. Get prepared. I'm ordering up a couple of... Anyway. Does Susie know? She went online and found them, actually. Uh, and this is where John the Baptist comes in. <laughs> in Matthew 3 you see, I don't know he came on the scene, he was a weird guy wasn't he, he wore some scratchy old tunic with a leather belt he had uh, drank had, um, wild honey, I don't know how he got that out and, and, and grasshoppers well, ethanol, locusts that's it, locusts I mean they're more crunchy, they're more, more tasty than the grasshoppers I don't know whether you check that out but he was a weird guy and he came on into the desert and people came to see him why did they do that? Because he was so horrid to them. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Even, even the nice religious people like us who went along, he said, where are you creeping out, you little snakes and vipers? And He was horrible, horrible to me. I'm a bit scared of when I do peg, actually, meeting him. <laughs> I don't know what you think repent means. <laughs> I never, we never use it in our family at home. It wasn't a growing up word, it was a Christian word, wasn't it, when, when you joined the church? But I thought it was, turn from your sin, you dirty, yellow-bellied, double-talking, split-tongued rat. Because the kingdom of heaven is in hand, God is near, he's watching you, if you don't stop it, he'll have you. That's what I thought, repent then. Am I close? Did we all think that's what repent? 
feet. <laughs> Perhaps not quite as, as violent as that. But with this. Hey. But the problem was, Matthew chapter 4, my Jesus turns up, he's saying the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I've fallen in love with this Jesus. I've known him pretty well now for 40 years, over 40 years. He has never done this. I've messed up a million times. He's never done this to me. I said, Lord, what's, what's this all about? So I got out my <laughs> big old um, analytical concordance. We've got this great big black heavy book. And I looked up what repent meant. And do you know, in Greek, it's metanoia, the word is. And we see it in English. Meta, we see it in metamorphosis, where a little caterpillar goes into a chrysalis, a little blob looks like a dead leaf, and suddenly turns, when the weather gets right into a beautiful butterfly. <coughs> a complete change. Metamorph, a different morph, metamorphosis. A complete change. The Greek word is metanoia. Noia, we get it in paranoia. Something wrong with our minds. So the actual direct literal translation of that Greek word is a complete change of your mind. That interesting. And that I was looking, I'm not sure what John the Baptist's <laughs> translation was, but God was saying to me, Joe, heaven isn't... 40 years down the road and out there somewhere vaguely. Heaven and hand is here at hand. Get in it, boy. Take it in. Get in there. Now. I thought, yes. I'm, uh, although I love, I've taken every nut and bolt off my MG, I, I, engine-wise and everything. I've had it absolutely down to bare bones and back. But I'm um, technophobe. I haven't got a mobile phone, never had one, don't <laughs> When you lead a church, people are phoning you up so often. It's wonderful when you retire and you can say, I'm not having any more phones. I don't want people to be phoning me up. So I haven't got a mobile phone. We do have one we share, although I've never used it for an insurance policy if we crash on the motorway or something. But we've got a laptop as well, and Susie is beginning to teach me because she said if she decides to pop her clocks, if I don't know how to use it, I'll be totally unable to live life. Right? But the more people I talk about their with their computers, the more I realise that none of us, none of you, use more than a tinsy, wincy, wincy little bit of what it's capable of offering us. And when we step into the kingdom of heaven and Jesus does that rescue job on us, we're the same. We step into the kingdom and we start to live our lives, normally. My little MG, <laughs> last year actually, in spite of the lovely weather, I did a little belt down the, um, down the marsh road to home. She touched 60 miles an hour a couple of times. It's only got three speeds. I've got a high lift clam in it, an old racing can that I managed to pick up, so she runs well. She's finishing well at 90 years old. And she will live forever now. She's um, stamped as a historic vehicle, so she won't be scrapped. I don't have to have an MOT anymore, that's nice. <laughs> Helps the value. And, uh, but you see, Jesus, when I first became a Christian, I remember somebody saying to me, when you pray, Joe, um, it's not just asking God for all this stuff, telling him to do this, asking for this. He said it should be a discussion. And I thought, oh heck, I don't think my praying's very good. 
I don't think I often have a real close discussion. In fact, I don't really know, even if I can hear God. I'm not sure. And we prayed, and I said, Lord, I really want to know if I can actually hear you sometimes, anytime. You know, things came into my mind, but I didn't know if they were out of the pit, out of my own mind, or from God. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. I thought, do we? I don't, Lord. I don't really know. And I'd like to learn. We were off on holiday. <laughs> when I became a Christian, she had been praying for me for yonks, and she was so excited that I became a Christian. And we were going on holiday, and I thought, oh, thank goodness, we can take the pressure of being a Christian off. No more <laughs> six weeks fasts and all-night prayers, and, you know, we can just cool it now off in the holiday. But, of course, God has other plans, doesn't he? We were lying on the beach, nice family beside us, local people, started talking to them. Christians, would you like to come down to our home group this week? <laughs> I got down here in Kingsbridge on holiday. Yeah, all right, come on. So we went and had an evening with their home group, giving little bits of testimony and stuff. And, you know, you don't really get to know people intimately, do you, in one evening in their home group. And after the holiday, we came home. And a few days later, there was this telephone call. It was... One of these ladies, hello, it's, it's Jenny here. Hello, it's hello. Do you remember? I was part of the home group when you were on holiday down in Kingsbridge, and I traced you back. And I really got a big problem in my life, and I wondered whether you and Susie would pray for me to help me along with this. So I said, oh, yeah, Jenny, we'd love to. What's the problem? Well, she said, I, I'm not going to tell you the problem. I want you to pray and tell me the answer. <laughs> Have you ever had that? <laughs> I said, I don't know whether we're very good at that, but we'll have a go. Now, I used to get through to the Lord when I fed the chickens in the morning. I used to go and say, one chicks, and I'd say, morning, Lord, and then we'd have a little bit of a discourse about how the day was going to go. Maybe we'd ask him to look after me. And, um, and I thought, you know, this lady is not testing our spirituality. She really wants to know what God has for her in some decision. But when I started to think it could have been anything, couldn't it? Should she start a Christian bookshop? Should she buy herself an MG or a Mercedes Benz? You know, I could, the more I thought, the more impossible it seemed. And I, all the places where I thought I'd get through to God didn't seem to work that week. And it got to the end of the week. And on the Saturday, I said, Lord, we've done a week and I haven't heard and I don't know what this is all about. I'm sure you're trying to show me something. But I'm giving up. Yeah, it's often quite good when we're struggling with things with the Lord to, to give up trying. Mm. <laughs> we went to our little Anglican parish church where we took communion, there was a choir hey. singing, came back, sat in the pew. I, I've never been very good, I've never been a very good person in church because I'm always too noisy. They told me that I sung hymns like I used to oh. sing my rugger songs. Oh. <laughs> so I've, no, I've always been a bit knocked about. Yes. Anyway. I was trying to be good, and I took communion, and I looked up, and people were coming up for communion looking so miserable, and the ones coming away from it were still looking miserable, and I wanted to shout out, hey, you don't know what happened here, you know, anyway, I didn't. So, I sat quietly in my pew, the choir was singing, and I sat there, and into my mind came this lady, and the little phrase, she's got to continue her studies. I was so Mm -hmm. I said, Susie, I've got it, I've got it. <laughs> but very interesting, the enemy is so hot on the tail when the Lord speaks to us. As we were walking out of the church, 
these things were bumping up. Wait a minute, she was a mature woman, she's not studying anything. You'd look stupid phoning up and saying that. She probably wants to know whether to buy a boat because she lives by the sea. You can't say that. We make ourselves look so stupid. She thought we were wonderful, but don't want to, you know, everybody thinks you're wonderful, so you don't want to spoil that, do you? You don't want them to know what you're really like. And so <laughs> um, I said, as we were driving home, I said, I, I think I misheard. I don't can't phone, I really can't phone her and say that. The trouble was, she phoned up us, and I didn't pick up the phone, my gorgeous wife did. And I heard, oh, hello, Jenny. Oh, no, I didn't have anything, but Joe had something. <laughs> she said, Joe thought, the Lord was saying, you ought to continue your studies. She said, yes, I thought that was it. Thank you, Mr. Mike. She had to toss up whether she stopped studying and got married or carried on studying and didn't marry for the time being. What a fantastic thing. The most awful thing was, I wasn't going to tell you this, but the most awful thing was, when you fall in love with somebody, it's very powerful. She decided to give up her studies and marry this guy. It's been absolute chaos. Awful. They're still together, I think, because we keep in touch with her mum. But everything that could have got wrong, gone wrong has gone wrong. If you really want to know what God's saying to you, set in your mind that you're going to do it. Recently we had somebody else do something very similar. And again, they went off into the opposite. People want God to confirm what we want to do. I think we're all like that. We've got to be so careful. So, <laughs> but I was excited because I thought, I know God's voice now. And we were moving and buying the house that we are in now. It's been there for 37 years. And we were looking in Cooden Drive at Bexhill at various homes there. An agent was showing us around. We looked at about three houses and really didn't like any of them. We said, no, I don't think this is us. And we were walking back to the car. And as we passed the house that actually had a for sale notice on it, but with different agent, the Lord said to me, that's your house. <laughs> I said to Susie, Lewis just said that's our house. So she said, what do we do? Should we go to the agent? I said, no, I'll just walk down the path and knock on the door. So I walked down the path, knocked on the door, and the lady doctor actually opened the door. I said, can I buy your house? She said, yes, well, I've just dropped it so many hundreds of thousands of pounds. No, not quite as much as that. <laughs> but I just thought nobody wants it. I said, we will. We didn't even have it surveyed. We had sold our previous house, so we had money available. Huh? We've lived there for 37 years, and it's been nice perfect house for us. Absolutely incredible. But of course there are times when we don't want to hear God's voice, aren't there? I was working, we had been, <laughs> we had lived in a lovely home actually, and I don't know, does anybody here know Ashburnham Place? Yeah. Well the stable block there was being developed into a ministry centre um, back in the 1980s. And by some extraordinary, ridiculous thing, 12 months after I had been zapped, we got invited to be part of the ministry team there, but it meant we had to leave our home, which was hard. It was in an acre of ground in the middle of a farm, uh, a half a mile up a track, we couldn't see another roof, we had dogs and chickens and bees, I get bees, and it was pretty near what I imagine heaven to be now. And, but the Lord had said, move down into Ashburn, which was nice, and I kept the job. So Susie was helping at the conference centre and I was doing my evangelistic bit evenings and weekends and it worked beautifully and we had a nice income coming through. 
had a company car, new one every year. I had an expense account. I worked for a company in Southwark, and I only had to go up to London once a fortnight on a Friday to collect my expenses. <laughs> Life was pretty good. We were there for three years, and then the boss called me and he said, we're looking to develop a new, we made a big industrial hose pipe, by the way, a chemical <coughs> industry, all the SO tankers. You see on the oil tankers, those big pipes, they were out. All the SO ones were out. And <laughs> I said, I want somebody to take a little team out to America and work in the factory there. What, what about it? And coming home in the car, I was saying, Lord, you are just the God who blesses us. Here we are. This is amazing. We're pretty well off as it is, but this is money now. <laughs> in my 30s, actually going to earn money. It sounded good. And I felt heavier and heavier. And I drove into home and I said, Lord, what's going on in here? And that same, I was going to say a wretched voice, but it's a beautiful voice. That same voice that I'd heard before said, I want you to give up working for money. Come and work for me. So I said to my boss, I'm sorry. This was later on, a week later, sorry, I can't take the job. Um, which meant I came home with no company car, no expense account, no income, nothing. And on the train coming back, my head said, you are a foolish, foolish man. I had a wife and two children to look around. And inside there was a joy, a thrill, a thrill something that I, could, I just can't describe. And I was honest with the Lord, and I said, Lord, we've got six months worth of savings. I was 35. Six months worth of savings, Lord, and in six months' time, when we run out, to go back. Susie, actually I ought to tell you a little bit more about that, because when I told Susie <coughs> that um, the Lord was saying to give up my job, and I said to the Lord, I can't do that. I said, Lord, I've given up a house for you, a home. We've moved into a place. It's maybe beautiful for some people, but it's half the size of what we had. We haven't even got a back door to sneak out of if we see somebody coming. <laughs> no garage for my old car. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere to hang our washing, <coughs> washing line out. Oh, it was tricky. And, uh, and I told Susie, and she said, you know, if this is God, we would be fools for you to keep working. Oh, it's great to have a wife. We need somebody with us. <laughs> On our own, we are picked off. We need somebody who we can bounce these things against. She said, we'd be fools. She said, but you're, you're um, quite an expert hose man, and there are quite a lot of big hose companies in the country. You'd almost certainly be able to go and pick up another job if needed. And I thought, okay, we'll do it. So I had put out a fleece. And I said, Lord, <laughs> I've found Philippians 4.19 that says, My God will supply all your needs according to his bounteous riches in heaven through Christ Jesus. And I held it up and I said, Lord, if this is for us, I've got to know by Monday. This, on Friday, I should have gone in and signed on the dotted line. And I couldn't. I didn't dare to go. I didn't dare to draw that final line under my working life. And so I held it up, and I, I told my boss, oh, I've got a special customer I've got to see today. I'm like, oh, I'll come in on Monday. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I must know by Monday. I need an answer here. Nothing happened on the Friday. Nothing's happened on the Saturday. Went to Ashburnham Parish Church, which is a very unrenewed little Anglican church, hey. on a Sunday morning. As we were coming out, I was chatting away to one of the other people there. And one of the older men, he's died now, who... Um, really respected him, came past and tucked something into my top pocket. And as I was talking, I didn't pay much attention, I forgot all about it. During the afternoon, I took my shirt off and to change and out fell this envelope. It was a cheque for 500 pounds. 
Christians, what? which actually in those days was worth about a thousand. <laughs> I thought, oh. So I phoned him up. I said, John, why did you put that into my pocket? He said, oh, I really don't know. I had a company car. We were looking, I was going to say effluent, but we were looking well off. And affluent. Um, and, um, <laughs> sorry, I had to wake you up. Those are the <laughs> it, was, it was the toilet stuff that was just getting in my mind. <laughs> He said, I don't know why I gave it to you, Joe. He said, but God told me to. Now, if you don't, if you, and I came back and I thought, oh, no. So we gave up our work. And I said to the Lord, six months' time, I'll be going back for a job. I'm just coming up to 74, and we haven't run out yet. <laughs> but our income has been so small that we've never had to pay income tax since that time. <laughs> the poor country would go down the pan, wouldn't it? Everybody did that. <laughs> so I'm not recommending you all do that. But as we get older, we need to know that voice. Coming to the last little bit now. Um, we need to know <coughs> God's voice. Because we can't do everything. We just need to fit in with what he's doing. I want to tell you two little exciting things very recently. I was collecting the cats. We had a homeless lady living with us. Anyway, I was collecting the... And she, she moved on left us with the cats. Um, <laughs> we've got two wonderful cats now. Fleed and gorgeous. But I was the last time I was in the in the vet getting the cats drops for their fleas. Um, I don't know who else has cats and things here now, but it's almost like going to the doctor and to the chemist to pick up your prescription. You have to put in an order first and the cat has to be checked you know, and all this sort of stuff. So I was in a little queue collecting our prescriptions. And the Lord said to me, speak to that young lady in front of you. Now when you're 74, you know. <laughs> You don't just shut up any young lady. <laughs> but I tend to, but I get into terrible trouble about it. So you have to be a little bit careful and circumspect, you know. And so I thought, well, what, what, should I, what should I say? He just said, don't talk to that. So I sort of stood beside her and she looked across and I said, horribly expensive, these, good thing, we've got the NHS. I said, the pills that I have to take at the moment, she said. I said, horribly expensive. Oh, she said, I'm working for my parents. They've got a horse refuge place and you should see the cost of the medication that I've got to pick up. Um, what have you come to collect for? I said, well, we had a homeless lady and the Lord asked us to keep her and she moved in for 14 months and when she moved on she left the cats with her. She said, well, why did you have um, a homeless lady with you? I said, well, we're, we're Jesus people and we thought the Lord said, could we take her in for a while? She said, well, I used to go to church, she said. Interesting. She said, I used to go to Victoria Baptist Church. You won't even know it. Here we are in Bex Hill. I said, oh, you mean Ros and Ian White who used to run Victoria Baptist Church. They were lovely. They lent inside their house once for a holiday down in Chichester. She said, did you know them? Yes, aren't they good? I thought, yeah, this is God, isn't it? What's he doing here? She said, you will think I'm really terrible, she said. I've um, haven't been to church for such a long time. The trouble is Sunday mornings where I have to look after the horses and go and do my rounds and I'm working for money and working with my parents. And I thought, shall I do a John the Baptist? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. shall I do a Jesus? You know, I wasn't quite sure. Actually, John the Baptist's technique of evangelism has never worked for me. Um, so, I thought, well, she's saying I'm really bad, aren't I? You must think I'm really awful. So I didn't want to underline that. And I said, did you know that Ash Burnham do a once a month thing in the evening, every other Monday at 7 o'clock, called the filling station? 
If you're feeling a bit dry spiritually, go along there, get a free cake and <laughs> nosh to start with and a cup of tea. Thank you, she said. Hey. Just yeah. one person who was slipping out of God's arms and I was able to bring that little bit of encouragement. If we're all doing that, it'll change this place. Our extraordinary little church had shrunk across the road outside of Victoria Drive. Three months ago, we were down to 21 people. Although, in the past, we had had people sitting on the windowsills absolutely jammed. But we'd been shrinking three months ago. Yesterday, like yesterday, last week, we were almost over double that. In three months, the Lord stopped our congregation. If we can just hear what he's saying, start doing it. He can do amazing things. We haven't changed the circuit. We did, we did an alternate last thing. Alternative to Halloween um, uh, event called it the, something light, what do we call it, Susie? Light evening, anyway. I can't remember. But my job was to go out on the front and talk to the people walking past, going to terrorize all the elders with their horrible things on. And 200 of them came through. We gave them burgers, hot chocolate for free. One lady said, oh, it's the same as last year. Thank you so much. I brought you a whole lot of sausages. We are so grateful for you doing this. And there was a little family walking by on the other side of the road. And so I went across and I said, you're coming in to um, have a hot chocolate and a burger before you start terrorizing the neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> with a smile on my face. And the chap said, well, oh, yeah, what, what are you lot? Are you a little church that meets here? Because we meet in the community center as well. And I said, um, yeah, we are. Oh, he said, have you heard of anything? He said, I'm a builder, actually, and my wife here, she's an accountant. We're up on your patch, just, in, um, just near Royal Sussex Cres. Um, and he said, you haven't heard of something called an Al 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 Alpha course, have you? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, funny enough. He said, I said, we're starting one in January. Oh, he said, one of my mates at work's been telling me all about this. I wanted to find someone who did it. I didn't know where to go. Can I come? Can I give you my address? Can we make sure that we're both in? <laughs> I thought, this is God, isn't it? If we can just be there, just at that time, we can change the world. But we just have to hear that voice. And I thought, when we were being sent up this morning, that our commission was to pray for anybody who dares to hear God <laughs> for, for you. I mean, if you wanted to, we could all stand up. Last time we were thinking, everybody took a step forward if they wanted to actually hear from God. And I'll just pray that the Lord will take you to a place start to recognize that voice because he's talking to all of us all the time. It's just that we miss it. It comes in one side and out the other. And that was so helpful, praying with Susie in the past. We would be praying together and she said, oh, I think the Lord is saying so and so. And I thought, whoa, that thought had been in my mind but gone before I stopped it on the way through. We need to find a place where we can just catch it. I mean, think of doubling the size of your congregation here in three months. Be nice. Do that in the next six months and you'll be almost wall to wall. So if anybody would like me to, to pray together, I mean, if we all stood up and you don't have to step forward, but let's all stand up and... Are you brave enough? Do you want to do this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and if you don't want to hear God's voice, because it's a highly dangerous thing, but I can almost guarantee... He won't tell many of you to give up your jobs or do drastic things. That's only for privileged 
people. <laughs> He'll take you on from where you are. Now you're all standing because everybody's standing. If you really want to hear his voice, let's do it. Father, you're a supernatural God. Jesus, you are just super. We praise you that you're not natural, although you've walked on our earth as a natural man. And we praise you that you are super. You're gorgeous. We want to hear you more clearly. Lord, we want to live this life. We want to finish well. Oh, I've gone off. Is this what Can they hear that? Can you hear my voice? It doesn't matter. The Lord is going to be doing his stuff. You don't have to battle for this one. Just receive it. Father, you have a, a group of lovely people here. All different. From all different backgrounds. All different incomes. And you love each one of them. You're so thrilled they're here. You almost say thank you for joining together on a Sunday. I love to have you together. Lord, may each one of them, perhaps when they're snuggling into bed tonight, hear that, well done, my true and faithful servant. May they hear your voice. May they know that it's yours. May they recognize your whisper, which isn't a human voice. Sometimes it's just a feeling, an urge. Sometimes it is a voice. Sometimes it's a knowledge into your thinking. Lord, may they know, each one of them, the whisper of your voice, and so they may be able to respond. Not out of where they want to go, but where you want to go. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Do it, guys. Amen.